0: Welcome to Table Flippers Podcast, an outreach of Greater Works Christian Church here in Lancaster, California. I am your host, Robert Ennis. If you like what you hear, visit us at gwcclancaster.org. That's gwcclancaster.org. Find the Table Flippers link, click on it, and you'll get to our merchandise. Now, get ready for a huge dose of truth and a huge dose of common sense. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peacefully to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. It's a beautiful Wednesday, April 28th. It's almost 4 p.m. 2023, and what I just read to you was the First Amendment to our Constitution, the freedom of religion, or the freedom of press, or the freedom of uh, speech. All depends on which way you're leaning and what you're talking about you might hear those hey we have the freedom of speech we have the freedom of expression the freedom of the press we have the freedom of religion I want to talk to you about this today especially in regard to the freedom of religion the free exercise of our religion because it's coming under attack at least Christianity is coming under attack. Now, ladies and gentlemen, before I go on with all of this, because I want to talk to you a little bit about the Johnson Amendment, where that came from, why uh, why it came up, all that good stuff. But it's funny to me, and I don't mean ha-ha funny. This is not a joke at all. It's very, very concerning on many levels. You see, way back when, in the 1600s, actually, a group of people came from Europe on the Mayflower landed here in mainland America and started a colony. They the first draft or the first document for the New World, as they called it, was the Mayflower Compact. I believe that was the very first one because they actually, if I'm correct in my history, and I'm not a history buff, so forgive me if I'm off a little bit. I believe they wrote this while they were still on the Mayflower. Now I don't I'm not saying that they were out to sea. But well, maybe they were still living on it because, um, you know, they didn't have any homes built or anything, at least right away. But nonetheless, it doesn't matter. It, it, it's, they they they've drafted this uh, compact, the Mayflower Compact, which is, again, if not the first, one of the very first uh, written documents establishing a nation here or that would lead to the establishing of a nation. You uh, jump forward some years and they are founding fathers, as, as they're called, right up the Constitution, Bill of Rights, Constitution, and they make these amendments to it over time. The First Amendment, again, was the freedom of religion, freedom of the press, freedom of speech, uh, freedom to assemble, and uh, freedom or having the ability to petition the government for a redress of grievances. And the way it's written, as I just read it, As a matter of fact, I want to read it again. I'll probably read it several times throughout this episode because it is, yes, ladies and gentlemen, it's that important. It's something that each and every one of us should know and understand because it is what forms every, or should, I should say, it's the foundation and forms every other law that we have. Our Constitution does that, and of course, then these amendments the first amendment second amendment and so every other law is supposed to is supposed to kind of branch off from those being the foundation the the constitution bill of rights and these amendments supposed to be the very foundation for every law and every law written beyond that should not in any way take away contradict stifle uh or hinder the full implementation of the constitution and its amendments and the bill of rights okay so um uh, we, we see this with the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment is very, very clear, very simple and very clear. And basically, the, the rights of the American citizen to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed upon, primarily, of course, by the government. So you and I having the right, doesn't mean you have to, but I think you should, but the right to go out, purchase a firearm, carry it, okay, carry it on your person in a responsible manner, ladies and gentlemen, of course, always, and if need be, and we hope you never ever need to do it, but use it in self-defense or the defense of others that is a constitutional right. It's actually a right given to us by God and made it to the Constitution and then in that Second Amendment just to state this is what God has given you. This is not what government gives us. This isn't what the collective gives us. This is what God gives us and we're just stating what God has given us so that there's no misunderstandings. You, you, ladies and gentlemen, You, American citizens, and I would even say this to the citizens of the world, forget for just a moment, it's not uh, what your actual law says. I'm talking about what God says. I'm not telling you to break the law. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that you have the God-given right to protect yourself, defend yourself, defend your family, your wives, your children, or your husbands, and those around you, and to defend those that um, can't defend themselves. You have that right. And what better way to defend yourselves, protect yourselves, protect your families, protect your property, protect those who cannot protect themselves. What better way than owning a firearm? Now, I'm not telling you to go running around like Yosemite Sam in the cartoons, shooting and blasting every, every ornery hide out there. <laughs> I'm just saying having the ability to protect yourself is a God-given right. And it's established in the American United States of America Constitution in the Second Amendment. And they say, why is that the Second Amendment? I heard somebody say, why is that the Second Amendment? Because that amendment protects all of them, especially the First Amendment. You see, they're really not after the Second Amendment so much as they are the First Amendment. Okay, people in government right now, the Democrats, the left-leaners, they want to destroy your rights of religion, free speech, press, to, to really be able to talk freely, okay? Because that's where the minds and the hearts are changed and shifted. But they also know that they can't shut that down completely until they take your guns because the Second Amendment protects the First Amendment and every other amendment. But the Second Amendment protects the First Amendment. Always keep that in mind, ladies and gentlemen. But anyways, I want to get back to this. Let me read this again. The First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States of America. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peacefully to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. <clears throat> now again, this is so absolutely important for us to understand because this is one of our rights, one of our God-given Rights and within this right, there are several um, other rights that are all tucked into uh, the same right. So, and and basically, this is your freedom of expression and to petition the government is basically what it boils down to. But I want to start with this first part, which says Congress shall make no law because the laws of the land, as far as federally speaking, uh. It's Congress that establishes the laws, make the laws, write up the laws, agree upon the laws, fight over the laws and all that, and then turn it into law. So it says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Now, I've heard over and over and over again, my entire uh, adult life, my entire life, as long as I can remember this idea of the separation of church and state. And people get that, in their mind, what they're taught, what they're told, what they believe is that is found in the First Amendment. And those words certainly are not. And that concept is not really found here at all. The closest that you can get to the separation of church and state, that concept, that idea, the closest you can get is in the opening statement of the First Amendment where it says, Congress, 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 ladies and gentlemen, shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So Congress, they are limited in their powers by the Constitution, or they're supposed to be limited in their powers by the Constitution. Our entire government is supposed to be limited. You see, a lot of people look at the Constitution as the document that gives government power. But what it really is, is a document that restricts the government's power and gives the power to you and I, we the people. But sometimes we the people forget that or don't realize that or get too lazy and we don't stand up as the true government that we are, okay, and tell Congress, Presidents, Senate, all of that, what we want, what we expect. And if they don't do it, mm, out they go. Anyway, so let me get back to this. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. That's simple. That, I mean, it's just what it says that Congress will not pick a religion for the United States of America or even for Congress or for government. It will not pick. Now, throughout history, we have seen regimes and and dictators and kings and queens and all sorts of leaders pop up and demand that everybody in their kingdom under their rule become whatever religion they declare you know we saw that in in england we see that even now in the middle east we see that all over the world and all throughout history as a matter of fact what was the reason why people jumped on ships and sailed across the ocean even many of them losing their lives to get here to uh, the new world, what it is to escape. They were trying to escape religious persecution because they weren't of the uh, denomination, if you will, not even the religion, but the denomination of the king and the king sought to do them harm. So they said, forget this, let's go start a whole new life somewhere else. They jumped on a ship, ended up here and said, hey, one of the things that we are going to ensure in this new land, in this new world, is that Congress, Congress, remember they removed the king, and they say Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So the first part of it, Congress is not going to tell you or tell anybody in the rest of this nation what religion they have to be or what denomination they have to be or how they should or should not worship God. And they can't prohibit you and I from worshiping our God in the manner that we see fit. Okay, that's why there's so many different uh, denominations and ways of doing things in America. A lot of people say it may be chaotic in a lot of ways, but from this standpoint, it's a beautiful thing because that tells you and me that, listen, if I want to go to church on Saturday, I can go to church on Saturday. Government government has no say in what day I go to church. If I want to go to church on Friday night at three in the morning, then I can go to church at Friday night, three in the morning. If they start saying, no, you can only have church on Sunday. That's That's unconstitutional. That's unconstitutional. And they don't have the right to do that. And I can say, no, I'll go to church on Monday. I'll go to church any time anytime I want. And if I go to a church and I want a, you know, a worship praise team that sounds like a rock and roll band, well, then that's what I want. And if they say, no, you can't do that, uh, we, don't, we don't allow drums. Uh, it doesn't matter what you allow or you don't allow, I'm having drums. If I wanted to go up there with a stringed quartet, and try to do praise and worship with a string quartet or harmonize like the barbershop quartets uh, in my church. Well, I could do that. If I look at the Bible and I say, you know, like some churches in America don't have any musical instruments, okay? That's their belief. that that, that um, So they don't use any musical instruments. Others, it's like a rock band. Others, it's like a big band. Others, it might be to pre-recorded music. Others, it might just be a simple guitar or piano up there with everybody else singing along. And you know what? I might not personally, personally enjoy all those forms, but what I do enjoy is living in a country where the government can't tell me how to worship my God. So the separation of church and state has nothing to do with keeping Christians or religious people out of government. It's keeping the government out of the church. And that's what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen, because it starts off again. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Congress cannot make any law that would prohibit me from exercising or worshiping my God and expressing my love for my God in the manner I see fit. Okay, so here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. So you still have these these um, anti-church you know, uh, um, church people that don't want church. I mean, church and state. there's got to be a separation. There's just got to be... Go over there and worship your God over there and let the people that run the government do it over there and you just stay out of it. But what they don't understand... About me, at least, and I'm speaking for myself. Okay, I'm speaking for myself, and I believe I'm speaking for many pastors out there and many church leaders out there, but I'm speaking for myself. One of the reasons why <clears throat> Greater Works Christian Church, that's the church that I head up, I'm you know, I say pastor only because most people understand that concept of of pastor, but I'm actually the lead apostle or the head apostle over Greater Works Christian Church. And a lot of people say, please don't get bent out over that title. Why do I call myself apostle? Um, find, find how many. Do a comparison biblically. Okay. Find how many pastors led the church versus how many apostles led the church. And if you do that, just quick, brief study. It's really a quick, brief study. You'll find that there were no pastors leading the church. All the church leaders were apostles, and God never changed. I read the Bible through enough times to find out God never changed. His word never changed. So who should be leading the church? Apostles. Okay, it's not this big mystery. It's not this big thing. It's not like I'm trying to strut my stuff and say, bow down to me. I'm like Paul. Bow down to me. I'm like Peter. Bow down to me. I'm like James. No, you don't have to bow. And I'm just Rob. (laughs) <laughs> Roberto. So I'm called to be an apostle, the leader of the local church here, and we are what we call non denominational. That means we're not tied to any denominations such as Baptist, Lutheran, uh, Seventh day Adventist, uh, Foursquare. Assembly of God, anything like that. We are non-denominational. We're independent. We're non-denominational. Yes, we do have covering people that we answer to. People I can't get away with just doing whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. We do have a board here at the church that keeps me in line and keeps me in check. And I have friends and people in ministry that I have to answer to. And if they start seeing me go off, guess what? I get that phone call um, or that visitation that says, hey, you're getting off. You, you need to straighten it up over here, you know, and um, believe me when I say that, I get very uh, black and white on things, especially when it deals with these types of things that I'm talking about today, and I've had pastors in the past, yeah, you know, you may, may want to check yourself, you may want to do this, you may want to do that, we've had our discussions. Anyways, let me get back to this. So, we don't see this supposed church separation of church and state anywhere in the Constitution, especially in the First Amendment, but we do see the separation of the government from the church, not the other way around. People that are religious can and should get involved in politics. One of the reasons why our government and this nation is in a, in a bad way is because not enough religious people that have morals and values, biblical morals and biblical values, are in government leading this nation. Because somehow, someway, they bought into the lie, the foolish lie of the separation of church and state. And they figure, well, because I'm part of the church, I can't be part of the state in that manner. So I got to keep you know, a low profile in that. I can't say anything. And that's complete and total nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. It's complete and total nonsense. As a matter of fact, let me talk to you a little bit about the... uh, Johnson Amendment. Some of you may know what that is. Some of you may not know what it is, but I'm going to tell you what it is. The Johnson Amendment, I'm just going to read this to you, and this is just from Wikipedia. Okay, wiki Wikipedia. That's a weird word to say, Wikipedia. Anyways, uh, it's from Wikipedia online. I'll put the link in there. It doesn't matter what you think about Wikipedia. What I'm about to read to you is right on you know, because a lot of people say, Wikipedia, that could be, you know, whatever. It, it, it's just funny when somebody doesn't like something that, you know, I, I've heard people really bash Wikipedia. And why? Well, because it said this. Well, is that wrong? And they just give you that deer in the headlights look. It wasn't wrong. They just didn't like what it said. That's what what I find so funny about people today. Anyways, the Johnson Amendment. The Johnson Amendment is a provision in the U.S. tax code since 1954 that prohibits all 501c3 non organizations from endorsing or opposing political candidates. Section 501c3 organizations are the most common type of nonprofit organizations in the United States, ranging from charitable uh, foundations to universities and churches. The amendment is named for then-Senator Lyndon B. Johnson of Texas, who introduced it in a preliminary draft of the law in July nineteen fifty four. So when Lyndon B. Johnson, he was actually a president as well, I believe the thirty sixth president, but he was a senator before that. And while he was a senator, he drafted what is been has come to known as the Johnson Amendment. And as we just saw that the, or read The Johnson Amendment is the provision in the U.S. tax code, and this was in 1954 when this was put in there, that all 501c3 nonprofit organizations, um, it keeps us from endorsing or opposing political candidates. And there's some other things to it, but basically it comes down to the candidacy. And again, there's some other things to it. It keeps many churches and five um, nonprofit not 501c3 organizations from becoming political or talking about politics too much can a little bit, but under that provision, you know uh, if we start getting uh, too political, then the IRS can come and take away our 501c3, our tax-exempt status. And before anybody starts talking about this tax-exempt status, again, there's so many. And what's what's funny to me is Christians that don't understand the 501c3. I've heard and seen Christians vehemently bash um, not only the 501c3 status itself, but churches and organizations that have it because they assume that it automatically makes us slaves, and stifles us, and we're too afraid to say anything. And I'm going to address that in a minute. So before anybody says anything more about the 501c3 status, basically, the reason why churches and and ministries or charities get the 501c3 status is it exempts them from not all taxes, by the way, but some taxes such as income taxes. So as long as it's a nonprofit they can they can file for this and they don't have to pay income taxes because it's not it's not looked at as an income but a donation that comes in and then gets redistributed to the areas that it needs to be for instance if I were to start a nonprofit organization of say feeding the homeless and I take donations so let's say every month I take a thousand dollars in for donations well that thousand dollars is expected for the most part to go out to feed the homeless. That's why we're in existence. Now, there are certain provisions in there that you can can give somebody a salary who runs the place and things of that nature. You can buy certain things like uh, if you need a vehicle, go buy the truck. It's all for the nonprofit and for that use. But it's very limited on what you can do with those finances coming in because it's expected that most of those finances are going to go to what that Organization stands for. And in the case of my example, feeding the homeless. Okay. And um, because they have the 501c3 um, provision, they're not expected, or they are expected, I should say, to not be political, not stand for or oppose any political candidate. So if somebody in their area is running that they vehemently disagree with morally, they're not supposed to say that person's name or anything like that. Now, maybe they could talk about morals, like tell people, hey, you know, um, we're all ab- against abortion, so don't vote for abortionists. I think that's clear, even though that might get them in trouble, but it's still pretty clear because you didn't name anybody's name. You just dealt with a moral issue, okay? Um, so anyways, so, so the 501c3 has been used by many, you know, um to be tax exempt. So in a church, again, the donations come in and those donations are supposed to be for the church, the running of the church, to make the church run and to benefit the people of that church primarily and then secondarily the people of the community around that church or other ministries and organizations. And so it's tax exempt because all the monies that come in are supposed to be donation. They're not supposed to be selling things and making money in in that way. You know, I mean, there's certain provisions, but again, I'm just talking in generalities. But then once the money's come in, it's supposed to go for the operation of that nonprofit, that church. And because they have the 501c3, again, the Johnson Amendment says you cannot be political. You cannot talk about, uh, you know, endorse a candidate or oppose a candidate. All right. And that's where it goes. And so a lot of Christians don't understand that. They think this just really shackles pastors. And I want to tell you, it does not. Not at all. And I'm going to explain that in a minute. But what I will say, because some of you listening to this may have been very frustrated or are frustrated at pastors who don't get political, don't stand up for righteousness, even moral issues that have become political issues, and you're blaming the 501c3. Let me tell you, it's not the 501c3 do not get mad at the 501c3 okay please do not get upset that that church has a 501c3 or is a 501c3 entity what get mad at the head who refuses and uses that as an excuse and refuses to get political and stand up for morality that person was already a coward already a limp-wristed coward and they're hiding behind the 501c3 I just remember hearing Lance Wallnau say this the other day, maybe about a week ago. He says, when President Trump gathered a whole group, a whole room full of pastors, sat down, and he was actually taking notes. He would say something, see the reaction of these pastors, and then take notes based upon their reaction. So he would throw out a few things. They would engage in conversation or clap or applaud or something of that nature. And he would basically write down, okay, they like this. They don't like this. They want this. They don't want this kind of thing. And when he came to the Johnson Amendment, he says, I'm going to do away with the Johnson Amendment. I'm going to destroy that thing. I'm going to get rid of it to release you guys so that you have the freedom to speak. And then the room pretty much goes silent. The room goes silent. You would think that every one of those pastors would have stood up and gave him a standing ovation, applaud, cheers, and it goes silent. Why? I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not going to say all, because I don't know everyone in that room, and I don't know why. I don't know them personally. But I would have to say the majority of those in that room are cowards and hide behind the Johnson Amendment. Because, oh, i got to keep my 501c3, you know, or we really run into problems, bigger problems than this. So I can't say anything. I want to, but I won't. I can't, you know, I can't say. I'm gonna, and they hide behind it, and it's their, and they're cowards. Because let's face it, let's face it. Somebody who's not a coward would have been talking anyways. Someone who's not a coward would have been saying something anyways. Someone who who's not a coward would go out there and and speak righteously. And if somebody threatened to come and take them, the IRS threatened to come in and take them, take their 501c3, they'd say, come in and take it. Doesn't matter, why do I know this? Because there have been many churches over the years, over the years that have been threatened threatened, ladies and gentlemen, no action taken, but threatened to have their 501c3 taken away because they stood up and they didn't follow this supposed Johnson Amendment, which is unconstitutional, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But they they didn't go by this Johnson Amendment. And they stood up and they said, wait a minute, this candidate over here is unrighteous, and here's because. This Candidate over here is righteous, and here's because. They stood up primarily, not only, but primarily, not on political stands per se, but on moral stands. And it just so happened they had to um, name names so people understood the reason I think you should oppose this candidate is because he's for abortion, he's for LGBT, he's for whatever it is, and we don't stand for that. I think you should support this candidate over here because He is pro-life. He's against abortion. He wants to bring it to an end. He wants to lower your taxes. Things of that nature, right? And because of that, they've been threatened. Many, I'm not going to say all, but many of those pastors, you know what they started doing? And I find this hysterical and awesome. They started making recordings. Back in the day when everything was on paper typed, hand typed paper or handwritten notes, they would send those notes to the IRS afterwards when we started moving over to um, recordings on cassette tape, they would they would make a duplicate and send it into the IRS on cassette tape. when that moved over to either DVD or a CD, they would send that recording in. you know um, so they were like, okay, here's all my notes, here's all my sermons, listen to them, come and get me Now you might ask, well, why would they do something like that Because number one, they understood that regardless. Regardless, and we know it's unconstitutional, but regardless it's still wrong that you and I, we as a believers, me and my peers, we should have the courage to stand up for righteousness, even if it means we are going to get in trouble, thrown in jail, thrown in prison or even lose our life. We should still stand up for what is right. But there's too many uh, pastors that are cowards, too many church leaders that are cowards that won't do that. And they hide behind the Johnson Amendment, not because they believe that it's constitutional or correct, but they use it as an excuse for their cowardice. We saw this during the COVID uh, shutdowns, when they demanded that we shut down, which again is unconstitutional. Remember, I just read, and I'm going to get back to that again, the First Amendment, government, Congress, cannot stop, I'm I'm paraphrasing, cannot keep you and I from worshiping our God the way we see fit. The way I see fit is that I show up on Tuesdays for Bible study and I show up on Sundays for our corporate worship services. And they told me I could not do that. That's unconstitutional. They broke the law. And then the same people that break the law have the nerve to tell me that I cannot support a candidate or oppose a candidate or i could leave lose my 501c3 well what punishment do they get for breaking the constitution on both of those in both of those ways by passing or leaving this johnson amendment out there and using it as a fear tactic towards pastors and then when they see fit shutting down the church and saying you cannot you cannot exercise your religious beliefs you cannot do that they break They have no problem breaking the constitution going against the very words of that document taking away our rights trampling the constitution and along with it your rights and my rights and then as the hypocrites that they are oh and by the way you know if you do say anything political that we don't like we're going to come and take your 501c3 uh, uh tax exempt status away from you well A coward pastor would go, oh, 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 I better not do that. I better not say anything. I better not do anything. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) What next? Pull down the American flag and the freedom that it stands for and put up a commie flag? You may as well. Oh, no, no, no. I take that back. Why don't you get the rainbow LGBT homosexual flag with commie uh, uh, symbols on it? Because that's what you've become. That's what you've given into. If you're hiding behind all of this nonsense and you're not standing up for righteousness, and you're not saying, even to the point, I'm talking to you pastors out there and you church leaders, if you're not saying who should and should not be voted for, and then you know what, what this really gets me. This actually was written, believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, um, to keep conservatives quiet. Not liberals. Because even today, where do you see liberal politicians, you know, Democrat politicians going into very liberal left-leaning churches? Particular, In particular, and ladies and gentlemen, please just hold, I'm just telling you the way it is. I'm not for it. I'm not against it. I'm just saying this is the facts they end up going to predominantly black churches for the most part. We just saw that with President Biden when he was campaigning for that pastor, Warlock, Warnock, um, whatever his name was. I believe it was in Georgia, but it doesn't matter. And he was a self-proclaimed uh, a pro-choice, pro-death, pro-baby murder, uh, Democrat, pastor, and Biden was in his church. Now, I don't know about you, but if this Johnson Amendment is something that we're all supposed to be following, regardless of who we are, as long as, you know, if we're in a church or a nonprofit, we're supposed to be following this. How in God's name did this Warnock remain as a pastor in that regard and run for office? Isn't that an automatic conflict of interest based upon what many are saying? And how is it that Biden could find his way into that church? You know, Bill Clinton did the same thing. Many Democrats do that. Now you say, well, well, I'm sure Republicans do it. Yeah, they do. Oh, they do. They do it now. But there was a long time that if it happened, it, it was very rare. You know, because they would go and hammer the conservatives far more than the liberals. As a matter of fact, when uh, Lyndon B. Johnson was senator. Let me read this from another article. Again, I'll put the link up there. It says, the amendment is named after the senator... Later, President Lyndon B. Johnson, who introduced the amendment, out of concern about the Facts Forum and the Committee for Constitutional Government, so there was two groups called the one called the Fact Forum, Facts Forum, and another one called Committee for Constitutional Government, and he had concerns. It says both were tax-exempt organizations that had imitated the tactics of Senator. Joseph R. McCarthy, Republican, in campaigning against politicians like Johnson, who were more liberal in their political orientation. So Lyndon B. Johnson, who was a liberal, all right, liberal Democrat, he was a Democrat, a liberal, comes up with this amendment. Why? Because there was two groups that were acting like a Republican, using this Republican's tactics in campaigning against. Politicians such as Lyndon B. Johnson. In other words, they weren't running for office, but they were two nonprofit groups that were using the same tactics as a conservative was using when he ran against people such as Lyndon B. Johnson or other conservatives. He did not like that, so he comes up with this amendment to do what? To shut the mouths of con- conservatives, because he it was the conservatives that he was trying to shut down so that he can further his political uh, career. That's all this was, ladies and gentlemen. It was a means for not only this um, liberal, this Democrat, but every Democrat to further their agenda and their careers. That's all it was. It is completely unconstitutional because he was a senator, part of the government that came up with an amendment to the tax code that broke the First Amendment, that kept churches from exercising their religious beliefs as they saw fit. See, because part of my religious beliefs is to stand up against what is immoral, regardless of whether they're running for office, in office, or not. If they're immoral people engaging in immoral activities, especially when that immorality is affecting the whole of the United States of America, you better believe I'm going to stand up against it. And any pastor with any kind of backbone and without limp wrists is going to do the same. Those weak jellyfish pastors are going to hide behind the Johnson Amendment, declaring they have to keep their 501c3, they can't lose it, they're just obeying the law, I don't like it, but it's the law of the land, I got it. It's not the law of the land. It's unconstitutional, which means the Constitution itself cancels out that lower, lesser, unconstitutional law. So not only does it show their weakness, their cowardice, but it also shows their ignorance of the very document that was drafted by believers in Jesus Christ that govern the United States of America. And why is America in the place that it's in with the darkness and the wickedness and the immorality that's rampant right now? Because of these weak pastors that are trying to come up with every excuse that they possibly can to excuse away their weakness, their cowardice, So they don't have to stand up for right and wrong. They can give these cute little fuzzy, warm, fuzzy, feel-good messages on Sunday and not truly change anybody's life at all. And that's why it bothers me so much. So let me get back to the First Amendment here. Let me read it again. First Amendment of the United States of America Constitution. It says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Now, this, I've read this, what, three times now? And I'm reading this from law.cornell.edu. This is Cornell Law School their website, and they have something just above the actual wording of the First Amendment, and it says this. It's more of like a description of it so we, in our day and age, can understand it a little better. It says, The First Amendment guarantees freedoms concerning religion, expression, assembly, and the right to petition. It forbids Congress from both promoting one religion over others And also restricting an individual's religious practices. It guarantees freedom of expression by prohibiting Congress from restricting the press or the rights of individuals to speak freely. It also guarantees the right of citizens to assemble peaceably and to petition their government. Let me get back to where it says it forbids Congress from both. So Congress is forbidden. To promote one religion over another, and it's also Congress is also forbidden to restrict an individual's religious practices. So, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to go on the air right now on this episode, and I want everybody to hear this that it is my religious duty, my moral duty to tell you when there is a candidate or a political party that's unrighteous, ungodly, immoral, and wrong for this nation. It's also my duty to tell you when a candidate or a political party is correct, right for uh, this nation. And sometimes there's some crossover because uh, a lot of people think that I'm like 100% Republican. I am a registered Republican, but I wasn't. I didn't start out that way. I started out as a, a registered Democrat for several years and then... I started to realize. Wait a minute! I disagree with absolutely everything the Democrats stand for, and I switched to Republican. And um, a lot of people say, "Well, why were you voting Democrat?" I'll be honest with you. I never voted Democrat, even though I was a card-carrying Democrat, because I would look at the candidates and I would look at what they believe when when they were running, and I would look at their policies and what they stand for, and I'd listen to them, and I realized I can't stand with these people. These people are absolutely immoral and wicked. And then I looked even deeper and realized, wait, it's the entire party. So I went over to to Republican. Now, a lot of people say, well, they're just as bad. No, 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 they're not. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Are there some bad Republicans? Oh, yes, there is. You know, people such as Mitt Romney, the Rhino Group, people like that. Absolutely. Those are Democrats in disguise, hiding behind the little R. But they're not really Republicans. Or I should say this, they're not really conservatives. So I said that to say this, there is no real huge love for the Republican Party as a whole in that regard. You say, then why are you a Republican? Because they're the most conservative party that can actually get elected. There's some parties that I would probably um, agree with more because I'm very conservative. So I would probably agree with other um, parties even more, but can they get elected? No, so if I take my vote, And there's many people like me. So if we took our vote and put it on these more conservative parties, we would split the vote and we wouldn't get anywhere. We would keep losing to liberalism, which is absolutely destroying this nation. So many of us stay with the Republican party and then demand the Republican party become more and more and more conservative. Because ladies and gentlemen, if you've noticed, whether you are into conservatism or not, whether you agree or not, but if you just take a moment and notice, The more conservative the Republican Party stands and the more conservative, for the most part, it's not a pure or perfect science, but the more conservative the candidate is, the better chances they have of winning, much better chances. The more centrist the Republican Party becomes, we we stop winning. We stop winning. You know, Trump, I'm not even going to say was this deeply conservative dude. He was conservative in a lot of ways, but he wasn't as conservative as I would have liked him to be. But still, he was our best chance of winning. And I actually appreciate him because it turns out that he was far more conservative than I thought he would be. So why do I stand with Trump? A lot of people, oh, you're just one of those Trump lovers. No, I'm a conservative lover. And anybody that stands up for conservatism and conservative ideas and ideals, I I do appreciate that person, but it's the conservatism that I love because that's, that's what works. That's what has really made this country and any other country great. Liberalism destroys countries, but conservatism, as we know it in the United States, um, pr- progresses nations and countries. Why? Because it first roots itself in th- such things as morality and a belief in God and a pursuit of God. And when we pursue God, as the Bible teaches, He will bless us. And when we live morally, He will bless us. Liberalism leads to complete and total breakdown. And full debauchery. And God says, when you do that, you're under a curse. And we've seen this country come under a curse. Look at where we're at financially. Look at where we're at financially. Look at we're the laughing stock of the world right now. Look at our present leader. Look at our present government. And all the. I mean, I think Biden went. Biden must have had this great love for the circus when he was a little child. And now that he's a little bit older, and it's very clear, and I'm not trying to make fun of him, it's just very clear. He's he's dealing with some uh, um, mental issues, probably based upon his age or maybe all the chocolate chip ice cream that he eats. Um, but he's he's not really playing with the full deck. And out of this love for the circus from from his child, I think he's trying to recreate part of his childhood. So he found all the clowns that he possibly can gather up and put him in. And, and when he looks at the White House, I'm assuming he probably sees. He goes back in time and he sees the big circus tent and he's filling that circus tent with all of his clowns and all of his, uh, you know, uh, goofy entertainers and all the people dressed weird with the weird makeup. And he's the big ringleader of the circus now called the United States government. And, and, and ladies and gentlemen, you notice I'm not laughing because although I took some liberties there, I am not too far off the mark in some regards he has clowns working with him you know i mean literally he has clowns working around him and we've seen this over and over and over again and they what are do they doing they keep trying to strip you and i of our freedoms they're trying to strip us of our first amendment rights and how are they doing that by first yes they're going after our first amendment subtly but they're going after the second amendment more aggressively because once in you you and i are no longer armed and able to fight back It's easy to shut down everything and trust me, if they had the chance, the Democrats would stand on the international stage with the Constitution in hand, the Bill of Rights in hand, and tear it down the middle and keep tearing until it was confetti. Remember when Nancy Pelosi, the State of the Union address under President Trump, Nancy Pelosi standing in the camera, camera view, just behind the president, took the document That was his speech and his talking points and tore it in half in front of the world. In my opinion, ladies and gentlemen, in my opinion, that was a treasonous act. Treasonous act. She was aiding and abetting our enemies, among other things. She should be imprisoned for life at best. And I'm not going to tell you what at worst, but this kind of nonsense has got to stop. And ladies and gentlemen, you and I have to stand up for the the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, these amendments, our rights. And if you happen to go to a church that's afraid to say anything political or that could be misconstrued because the pastor doesn't want to lose his 501c3, let me tell you right now, dump that chump. He is not worth your time on Sunday. He is not worth, it's not worth you being there listening to that dribble. He's a sissy. He's a coward. Go find a true man of God that will stand up for righteousness. Thank you for joining us at Table Flippers. I truly appreciate you. You can write me at gwccrobert at gmail.com. That's gwccrobert at gmail.com. Please let me know how I'm doing. Remember to pick up some of our merchandise. You can find the link at gwcclancaster.org. That's gwcclancaster.org. Until next time, be continually blessed.